You're at the Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub where we enjoy conversations with people who are engaged in the world of coaching. Welcome to this week's edition of the Coaching Inn. I have been after today's guest for about 18 months and I've kept saying to people, if only we could get her on the podcast. And then I met somebody and he said he told me that he knew her. And he wasn't, he wasn't lying. He wasn't lying. (laughs) So welcome to the Coaching Inn, Pippa Evans. Hello, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure because Pippa, what you don't know is that you've done something huge for the coaching profession without knowing it. Yeah. Ooh. We only recommend three coaching books. Do you? Yes. One of them is mine (laughs) (laughs) which is absolutely right you have to promote come on absolutely one of them is Catherine Mannix's book listen and the other one is yours improv your life wow I'm really honored thank you and we only recommend those three wow wow that's I feel very humble so um it's absolutely just wonderful to have you here um and I'd love to make some connections between improv and coaching as we go. But I would love to start by getting to know you a bit. Tell us a bit about your journey, Pippa. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) Um, How long? How long is each episode? Um, (laughs) About three hours. Yeah, great, great. (laughs) We'll get through the beginning. Um, So my journey, well, I suppose, do you mean, let's sort of my professional journey? Yeah. As an improviser. As an improviser and performer. I, I suppose the reason I immediately go, oh, uh, is because I have many sort of strands of things that I do. Um, and often what happens when someone interviews me is there's a weird bit where we do a sort of handbrake turn because we go, oh, so you do, do a lot of comedy. You've done a lot of Radio 4. Um, but also you started a church for people who don't believe in God. Um, or... Or they go, oh, you started a church for people who don't believe in God. Oh, that's interesting. But you're also an improviser in a West End musical. <laughs> so um, so it can be quite confusing uh, for the narrative of my, to, to find that lovely clean narrative that we love to have, don't we? We love to have a nice clean narrative. I was born and I decided I wanted to be an improviser. And so I became an improviser. What a lovely clean narrative. But actually most of us, when we investigate realize that no no none of us actually have a very clean narrative and once yeah. you realize that oh gosh doesn't life feel a bit easier that we're all just a load of strands tied up in a messy plait um so anyway so I but I wanted to be a performer when I was younger and I loved comedy so that is where I went off to do so I went to university and studied drama and theater arts I thought I was going to be a very serious actress I was very good at being a serious actress worthy worthy I was going to be worthy I was going to do a lot of um Shakespeare I remember clicking on so when you first go into the professional world you do a lot of these kind of online profiles on dodgy websites and they always ask the question would you do nudity and I'd always click yes if the part needed it (laughs) which always makes me laugh because I know there's no way I'd want to do nudity at all and that was me trying to be like well well, in a way, that was me trying to be yes and, um, but with my parameters. So so early work with boundaries there. Uh, and uh, anyway, so then I met, I went on a stand-up comedy course, that's right, and I met this lady called Marie who was writing plays 
And about four years after I did this course, so I did this course when I was 18. And then when I was 22, I got this email from Marie saying, I bet you don't remember me, but I remember you because you were very good at improvising when we did that stand-up comedy course. There was a week we did improvisation. And I would love you to come and help me improvise in this play um, for a day. It was just like a day's development workshop. So I said, okay. So I went along and did this weird day. And I met this guy there who was an improviser who was going to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And he's, and I was going to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival with a very serious musical about a circus that was failing. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, he said, oh, well, you must come and see my show while you're up there. And I said, sure, absolutely, I will. Um, so got to the festival, started doing my show. Turned out my show was a right old mess and uh, was really miserable. We had hardly anyone in the audience. Uh, and the funniest thing about it, so it was a show about a failing circus and I was the wife of the ringmaster. And my first line was only 10 people in tonight. Uh, and there was never more than four people in our audience. <laughs> so even we were failing worse than the failing circus. <laughs> Anyway, I went to see this guy's show to cheer me up. And he said, and, and I thought it was really fun. It's such a funny show. And he said, well, when we get back to London, why don't you come and try out for our show? And I said, sure, okay, I will. Um, so I went and I tried out. And at that time, uh, in an improv show, there would be mostly men and usually maybe one woman. And um, the woman in the show had just left the group. So he said, there is space for a woman <laughs> And I wish I kept those text messages because now they would seem so archaic. But at the time I was like, oh, great, there's a space for a woman. And uh, and I joined this group and that was kind of the beginning. And then I was just off, you know, started doing shows in pubs uh, around London and then um, got involved with Ken Campbell, who was at the time improvising theatre uh, and then that met these people who were improvising mus musicals. And then that's how I got into Showstopper, the improvised musical, which is the show that I do the most live. And it's a really exciting, big West End production. But while I was doing all that work, I did, as I mentioned earlier, start a church for people who don't believe in God. Why? Um, because I was really interested in community and um, where are the spaces for people to think about life? If we lose church, what what do we lose? You know, yeah. what, what so what could we create that is an alternative for that space? So me and my friend Sanderson Jones started this thing called Sunday Assembly, which was essentially a place for people to think about life. Um, but a better PR handle was church without God, because goodness, doesn't that get people talking? <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> so then I started seeing this crossover between people really wanting to find ways to um, embrace life and, and feel present, uh, um, an epidemic of loneliness, people finding it hard to connect. Mm. Uh, and also this work with improvisation, which was all about connection and co-creation and wrestling with these things that we have, our egos and um, our wish to put something beautiful in the world. And then how do you deal with it when your teammate doesn't quite go with your idea or you don't want to go with their idea? And I could just see how much improvisation had to tell us about how we exist uh, together in in a very complex world. Um, and so that's why I wrote the book um, and started teaching a course called Improv Your Life, um, because I wanted people to learn improvisation not as a performance skill, but as a place to explore um, these principles around co-creation wow because we have a course called coaching with presence which is an in it's an improv day mm, there you go and that's where we found out about your book from the improv teacher Stuart Reed, who we use oh. um 
And he said, you must read this book. Well, that's nice. Uh, And I read your book and it's such a useful thing for people because it helps you think about how how to not know what you're going to say Mm. and and how to be fully present. And the thing that I love the most, well, I love many things about your book, but the thing I think is the most is is one of the most useful things is your solo practice. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So your ideas of on your own. Here are some things that you can do to improve. Well, I I read it as as really improve your presence. Yeah, that would be another way to write it. But I <laughs> I think but because I have this comedian's brain, whenever I hear phrases like that, I I I turn into like a Californian, you know, like yes. life coach. So, uh <laughs> Oh, please don't do that. Well, exactly. So let's not do that. Um, I wouldn't have read your book if it was called that, by the way. Well, exactly. So that, so I, I also think what's interesting is so much of this, uh, the, these things are um, different ways of saying the same thing. Yeah. And previously, that's always been like um, a bad sort of suggested. That's a bad idea. It's like, no, actually, we all need to find the way we can hear it. So for some people, they will need that Californian life coach, right? They, well, that's exactly how they hear it. But other people will need my voice and someone else will need something completely different. Um, and I, I always um, I always liken it to, you know, when you're talking to someone and you go, because um, you know Marion, and they you go, Marion? Yeah, Marion. You know Marion? No, I don't Marion. You know Marion? Marion. No, I don't know Marion. Marion. You must know Marion. 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 Oh, Marion. Oh, yeah, I know Marion. And it's it, it takes that long. You're like, I said exactly the same thing. But something about the way you said it that last time meant Marion appeared, right? Um, so so I think that's it. I think it's it's finding the way in for yourself. Yeah. 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 But those, the wisdom, the simplicity, the try this out stuff is just amazing for coaches to get them out of their heads and into being much more spontaneous love it great yeah well I I um I mean I did write this book also for myself so I think that's important to say and because I think again it can sound like going don't worry guys I've figured it out (laughs) when actually it's like oh this is these are the things that have helped me and still help me Mm. in fact I was having a bit of a tricky time I just had a baby um and going back into performing, I found quite hard because um, uh, turns out having a baby is quite a full-on experience. <laughs> and really? So, yeah, I know. I can't believe no one told me. Um, and uh, so I just found it really hard going back into performing and felt like I wasn't myself anymore, which, of course, in a way, I'm not. I'm someone else. Um, mm. uh, another ring on the tree, as I like to say. Um, and... Uh, and so I just yeah, found it really difficult. My husband said, I think you need to go and read your own book, <laughs> which I thought was a really funny idea that actually I needed to be reminded of the things that I found helpful. Um, because I, I think sometimes we think we're, fit, we're fit, fixed. I've done it now. I've fixed myself. Um, but again, as I say at the end of my book, we're always we're always working. We're always finding new things. We're always developing. So, you know, let yourself continue to grow. Absolutely. So that was a really just a, a nice reminder that you do know what you're talking about, but sometimes you need to remember what you were talking about. Yeah. 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 
So what do you hope for the book? What do you hope it's going to do to the world apart from I hope it's going to be on every coach's bookshelf? But apart from that. I mean, that would be delightful. I just really, I genuinely hope that it's a book that people pick up, maybe even not realising that it's a book that they need. Mm. And and it and it speaks to people. Um, because I, I don't know about you, but there's been maybe three or four books in my life of this kind of ilk, a sort of self-help, um, self-exploration kind of book that have really, um, yeah, really helped me out at times and um and I'm sort of forever grateful to those authors but also just to that physical book that it's there and that you can go back to it um so so I hope I I really hope that it becomes something of of that to people uh and a way in like I've said already to the improv world um I also just really hope that improvisation could become something that people learn just as a not as a weird hobby um, mm. or a crazy a crazy extracurricular day um at work because I think what it has to teach us about accepting where we are and what we're doing and building on ideas and listening to ourselves as the first offer um and so that this idea of having to be in relation to people um without losing yourself mm. that's kind of that's such a hard one, actually, because we are always in relation to other people, always. Um, and it can be really hard to get that sort of balance or that experience right where you're open and present and listening uh, and and still bringing your full self. Yeah, absolutely. And that's an art, isn't it? You can't... You, yeah. You can be inspired by a book to think about how it works for you, but actually the physical and but the, the doing of it is the mm. thing that makes the difference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um yeah, so just finding finding different ways, different places to explore these these things. I, I think also improvisation, the good thing about improvisation is it's the most accessible of the art forms in terms of you can literally do it anywhere. Yeah. Um you don't, you know, of course you can pay thousands of pounds to go on a course with a a super duper improv guru person um but you can also find a couple of people or like you say do some solo exercises by yourself in a park so it doesn't have to cost you anything at all you can get my book out of the library you can go to a park you can start doing these things so I think that's what I like about it as well is you don't even have to buy a script you know yeah you it's it's a free um, well, well, of course, it's because because that's what we start doing. You know, I've got this one year old daughter who's brilliant and she's already, you know, making up stuff and <laughs> re- responding to what we're doing and yeah. making noises and creating little narratives. It's incredible that we have all of these things exist and then they're chipped away from us and we need to find that play again. Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a question. Yes. Which is, can you do improv online? Yeah, I taught online for the whole of the pandemic. Um, what would you mean? Do you mean leading a class or do you mean? Just being in a class online because I've been looking and there's not that much online around at the moment. I think everybody's so happy to get back to on site. Yeah, I think people are really happy to be on site. Like, um, also, I don't know if you've noticed yourself. I don't know how you work, but um, having done 
courses. So obviously during the pandemic, 90% of people are at home looking for something to do. So the uh, this course is eight weeks, eight weeks long. You need to commit to a Monday night. Yeah. Fine, because I've got nothing else. Now this course is five weeks long. Pretty much every single person will email me saying, oh, I can do it all apart from this one one week or oh, this might happen or whatever. Um, and then even myself, I just had to cancel an online course because um, some other work came in that meant mm. I was no longer able to do five weeks in a row. Um, so I think that's got a lot to do with it. And actually on Zoom, I did over the pandemic, I think I did two intensive weekends on Zoom. So eight wow. hours. Uh, and uh, actually it did work well. But again, I don't think now anyone would choose to do that. Yeah. Um, so I think so. So it does exist. You can find online improv. But like you say, most people are happy to be back in real life. Yeah. Uh, and so so absolutely. Yeah, we, we did loads of brilliant work. And it was really interesting because also everybody was working who was working in that way, who worked online, um, was looking for ways to be able to interact with Zoom better. Yeah. Because the amount of times people were really would say to me, I'm just really impressed by the way you host a Zoom space. Um, and I think, but I, <laughs> I don't think I did anything wild, um, but perhaps was just thinking about it from the point of view of how your head is framed in the box or how do you, if you can't have eye contact, how can you make connection with somebody mm-hmm. um, through a through a screen and to think about energy transmission? like energy does transmit through your screen so if you just sit in the corner so I get people to to do like non-optimal zoom sitting I'm doing this right now <laughs> so in the court you sit in the corner like this you know and um I mean the amount of times I did uh did do an online class for a company or something and I would see yeah people just sat in their chair so far back and you just think what how do you not how can you not realize that that you are affecting the person speaking because what they're seeing is someone completely bored even if you're not completely bored be aware of what your body is saying right now yeah and I've got a an aversion to the news reader oh yeah what's that in the middle of the screen if you're right in the middle of the screen and you're and you're right far forward you look like somebody reading the news on the tv and it really impacts the quality of people's conversation with you because they give you all the power okay yes yeah yeah absolutely well that was interesting as well dealing with status on zoom calls and um big loud personalities taking over hey zoom magical (laughs) so yeah status online that there's something isn't there that in what you're saying about I'm guessing that the holding space thing that you that comes from your professional development mm. as an actor and as an improviser that shows up when you're online yeah absolutely I think knowing the impact of your energy is, yeah. is huge and and again I think as a performer you forget that these these are really actually um complex skills that you've learned and you're just so used to using them that you don't realize so actually when we started Sunday Assembly Sanderson and I so Sanderson is a uh was a stand-up comedian when we met we were both doing stand-up comedy and um and we and then people 
we did the first one and it was hugely popular and people got in touch from all over the world saying they wanted to start them. And so we said, sure, absolutely. Um, Gave people the sort of formula as it were. And they started doing them and lots of them really struggled. And uh, Sanders and I were like, why, why are they struggling? Why is it, why, what's, what's wrong? And we went, well, maybe, maybe it's because we've traveled around the country. We've learned how to put on a show for a dime, stand in front of a crowd, source um, favors from people. Um, we know lots of creative people. So it was easy to put together a band and all that kind of thing. Um, we've both had PowerPoints in our shows. So we know how to do that, you know, so all this kind of, you know, this, amazing information and skills that we sort of took for granted that we actually had already and again I think that's something a lot of us do is we'll say oh I'm just I'm just an ordinary person I've got nothing to offer and you think well actually let's just make a little list of all the things that you all the skills that you have it's always far greater than than we think and I'm sure that's you know linked to Back in back in the day when your CV had to all be my 90 cities and my whatever, um, that actually people have some some amazing skills that are they don't even appreciate themselves. Yeah, yeah, because it's not like we were born on the day that we labelled ourselves with our new profession. No, exactly. Yeah, lots of wisdom. I I've just done a video set helping people think about having better conversations at work. And the first thing I say is it's not like you don't know how to have a conversation. Yeah. Cause you do, but this is about just a little tweaky thing. That's going to make a difference. I would love to talk to you, to ask you about, about the, the improv principle about making an offer. Yes. What would, what would you like to ask? Or just, is, was that the question? <laughs> <laughs> That was a really rubbish question. I get that. Tell us a bit about making an offer in improv. Okay, so we'll start from the theatrical improv point of view, which is when you do a little improv sketch, let's say a sketch. So maybe you've got two performers. They're going to come on the stage and they're going to make an offer, which is something tangible the other person can do something with. Mm-hmm. So that might be a line. Gosh, it's cold in Alaska. <laughs> um, it might be a physical move. They might um, be digging a hole or miming digging a hole. Um, it might be simply to look at each other and offer sort of energy, as it were, um, and see what happens from there. So you're making uh, an offer to the other person as to what this thing is that we're about to create. And then what you then have is the counter offer, which is what the second person will respond to that offer. So we have to accept and build. So we have to accept that offer. So if they say, gosh, it's cold in Alaska, we want to accept it. Okay, we're in Alaska and it's cold, according to this person. Your counter offer might be, glad we, glad we bought these giant scarves. And uh, so now, so what? What you, the listener, might be noticing now is we're building the picture. So before we were like, oh, okay, it's cold. Oh, okay, it's cold. So maybe you saw snow, and we're in Alaska. Okay, we know we're in Alaska. Now we've got giant scarves, so now we can see these two characters with these massive scarves on. Or if it's the person doing the physical offer of building a hole, we're going to accept what that is. We're going to accept this mime of digging a hole, and maybe we'll say, um, "Gosh, 
lot of graves needed this week. Okay, okay, great. We're in a graveyard. We're in Alaska. Gra- yeah, in the anyway. snow. <laughs> um, no, because this is a separate offer. This is two separate scenes. Two separate okay. scenes. Yeah. Okay. Um, but that's that wasn't my offer. Obviously, wasn't clear enough of two separate examples. <laughs> uh, so, but the interesting thing about the mime one, if we've done this physical mime, is you might not see what I think I'm doing. Yeah. Right. So I think I'm clearly digging a hole. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm just doing the movement to Claire on Zoom. Uh, and, but actually what you see is me doing a hula dance. Okay. So you go, gosh, the pig on the spit looks good. Right. So you think you've made it really clear that we're at some kind of Honolulu dance thing. Uh, and, uh, I think I'm digging a hole. So now we might, <laughs> we need another offer to just keep finding the clarity of what, what we're doing. Uh, and, um, the joy of improvisation is to enjoy the not knowing and discovering. The difficulty of improvisation is to get, to get to a place where you enjoy it rather than freeze and panic yeah. or worry yeah. that I don't know what's going on. And that might be frustration that your idea isn't being heard or seen whether that's on purpose or not, um, or it might be just fear of letting down the other person. Mm. Um, so so that this is where, what offers are all about. The offer is to give something to the other person to do with what they will. Um, and, and actually, that's the bit that's hard, is that you can't control what that person is going to do with your offer. And you can't go backwards. And you can't go back. Yeah, you can't go backwards. You can't say... Uh, no so so for example if we, if i've done my mime digging a hole and you've said um got it a pig on the spit looks good i can't say what do you mean i'm digging a hole yeah you know to, to, yeah. um uh i mean and so the other thing is i just said you can't obviously you can you can say that but um we're not we're we're already in disagreement so we're not agreeing accepting and building um because that's what improvisation is like, working in agreement with each other. Uh, and, I, yeah, I just think all of these things around working in agreement, are we actually talking about the same thing? This isn't about toxic positivity. It's not, it's not about, um, got to say, you've got you've to gotta love everything everybody else says. It's, have you actually heard what's being said or offered? Are you actually working with what is here? Or are we still working with the idea that we of what we thought was going to be here and that's why improv is so good for coaches right because there's always misunderstandings we always ask the wrong question it's not quite but people will build on what was said and actually they'll go somewhere with it right and if they're going somewhere with it that's a great thing yeah and And you don't have to take them back to the beginning no absolutely absolutely and um i think if we checked in checked in more with that idea of being with what is rather than what we thought would be yes i just think that's a i think it's really important even myself like constantly i'm having to go okay well why am i getting cross oh it's cuz i thought today was going to be a really simple day but these five things have happened which means now it's a very complicated day well Okay, well, then we need to be with the complicated day rather than with the the dream of the lovely simple day, you know, Um, but it catches you out so often. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. It's my favorite improv principle, make an offer. Make an offer. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And and also that doesn't have to be huge. Like like yeah. I was saying, like it could just be a little energy. Um so often people will do the course and they'll be like, I'm not interesting enough. I don't have brilliant ideas. Like actually, maybe you don't need to have brilliant ideas. Um maybe you just need to bring something. Um imagine having a conversation like eight people around a table where everybody is having brilliant ideas constantly. It would be exhausting. How about you have a few people who are bringing the anecdotes and a couple of people who are just really listening and a couple of people who are putting in the yeses and the ands and the other things. And those roles can switch around the table as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other thing I think I, I say in the book is don't, um, don't judge a scene until it's finished. Yeah. And so often what happens is we're in the middle of a conversation going, is this conversation going well? Am I doing, am I doing well? Is this good? Which means we're already not in the conversation. We're outside watching the conversation. So just wait. Why don't you wait to the end of the conversation? Then you can decide whether it was any good. Um, because probably what's going to be the the judgment of it will be, well, some, oh, that bit was quite interesting and that was good. And maybe I went a bit off piece there, you know. Um, but yeah, just uh, just really just make make an offer, however small or big that is. So listeners, you can press pause now and go buy the book. <laughs> and then go back and listen to the rest. Improv your life. <laughs> There's so much wisdom. And the thing I really love about it, it's so practical and straightforward and simple. So what you've just described about don't think it's over till it's over. Yeah. That happens in, in every coaching conversation. And people start going, oh, am I any good? Am I any good? And as soon as you do that, you're not, as you say, you're not in it. In In the coaching world, we say you're not listening. Yeah. And you check out, then they'll check out too. Yeah. We just, we just need to stay together and work out what to do next, which is the improv principle, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I, but, but again, I, I really think it's important to um, to say how difficult that is as a skill. Oh, totally. Um, right, so, because I think, again, it's um, something that sounds so simple. So we'll just be with the person. But how, how Our brains are literally at the moment being untrained in concentration by all of the amazing things you can press buttons on and watch and do and listen you don't have to pay attention to anything fully if you don't want to Mm. um and goodness how fun is it to press buttons so so actually (laughs) the idea of spending an hour really listening to someone (laughs) it's kind kind of dull you know in in one in one way uh, but so it, it's that train you've got to train that muscle to be able to do it and again when I came back from having had a baby and going back into a 90 minute long improvised musical where you have to pay attention and you have to know you have to listen you have to make callbacks and you have to take in all this stuff that's happening and then make up a song and sing in rhyming couplets and all sorts I found it really hard because my brain was used to uh, being demanded of by a, a small baby where I it was like just be be so in the moment that you uh you forget what happened the last 10 minutes because otherwise you're not going to survive the six weeks <laughs> so uh yeah so so it, again it's not it's not even just the computers and everything there's bits of life that train us to not not be attentive for the whole time yeah yeah that's a lot of noticing and paying attention a 90 minute show yeah yeah 
It really is. And also, again, it's when it's not one on one, we're talking about a 10 person cast. So you're listening yeah. to. So, again, when I'm teaching, we often we often talk about improvisation being like a football game or a team sport where the hardest thing is to not check out when you don't have the ball. So if you so we play a game, where everyone stands in a circle and we have this imaginary ball that we're passing around. And it's about noticing what you do when the ball isn't coming isn't coming to you but actually your presence your energy is felt by the whole group so if you check out um or start thinking about your dinner you know whatever it is um or start worrying why is no one passing me the ball do they all hate me <laughs> which is <laughs> it's one of those weird things that happens it doesn't matter even if you're the most confident person for some reason you're playing this ch- childish game must bring back stuff from the playground you know um yeah, what happens when you're not in the direct limelight? So can you be the chorus member and the and the lead at the same time? Are you happy to take the limelight and then step back within three minutes? And that's even more artful than the one-on-one that you were describing about being in the Arctic. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's really hard. And, you know, we've been doing that show for 15 years and we still struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we have eventually come to the conclusion that part of the joy of the show is that struggle, you know. Yeah. But that actually what we're doing, the audience comes to watch 10 people attempt the impossible. They're going to improvise a West End standard musical. They're going to be completely in sync with each other for 90 minutes. It's, a, you know, it's not it's not actually possible yeah what is possible is for everybody to really be going for it <laughs> so you're really okay with making lots of mistakes yeah because again I think when we talk about mistakes and failure and I talk about it in my book as well you know and that's it's quite an on-trend thing now isn't it um is to say hey guys we've got to, we've got to fail failure is part of growing it's like well yes um we we do need to be learning from the failure though we can't just yeah be failing and also failure doesn't have to mean jumping out of a plane without a parachute you know like it doesn't yeah. have to be a massive fail it could just be a tiny little thing that happens um where you go oh right i'm not going to do that again or yeah. um oh oh i see what happens when i do that okay i'm going to stop i'm going to stop that because i think that we love our again our big glamorous narratives um i started a a, a company that sold biros that used um I know breast milk milk for ink uh, and, <laughs> and for some reason it failed <laughs> but it doesn't matter because now I'm making biros with ink <laughs> and I learned from my failure <laughs> they don't all have to be as big as that <laughs> but the mistakes in the in the in the show don't spoil the show, do they? You just move on. Yeah, absolutely. And well, again, it depends how you, your, your attitude to the mistake is. Yeah. Um. So you do always move on. I'm sorry, can you hear my baby crying? No. Okay, great. Um, I mean, there is someone with her, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, she's crying. Poor little baby. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, how, how, our attitude to the mistake. So we could be on stage. And um, and again, this happened just recently in the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Um, so there's two things. Is it actually a mistake or is it something you think is a mistake? Yeah. Um, 
so there's that one in which case that's one I think you maybe need to unless you've clearly done something of harm to someone else um I think that's one that you need to just put in your pocket to dissect later we're like oh maybe I shouldn't have said that or shouldn't have sung that Mm, I'm gonna put that in my pocket and I'm gonna talk about it later um by which time actually by the end of the show you'll be like what was that bit when I I think I was I thought I did something oh well I've forgotten now so half the time you forget this this terrible mistake you made um and then the other thing is is um have I frozen as a response to my mistake has the mistake actually made me just stop doing anything rather than find a way find a way to move forward through the mistake uh and and again dissect it if needed afterwards um because I think I yeah I had that experience a couple of times during Edinburgh Fringe where I could feel that I was not I was sort of quite static on stage because I was letting every tiny moment that I felt I wasn't being brilliant in um stop me mm. and make me go and, and but I was outside going look at you ruining this entire show which again is a bit of an ego trip isn't it to be like my mistake my, my <laughs> mistake ruined everything because I'm so important <laughs> so, it, so did not yeah so uh it's probably also that um a fear of not being the most important person in the room that's a very wise phrase the fear of not being the most important person in the room so pippa if people want to find out where to see you or where to have some training with you how do they do that well i have a website i know pretty modern uh (laughs) which is pippaevans.com that's innovative (laughs) i know they call me the innovator uh it's uh, pipperevans.com and um and i'm on instagram i am pippa evans on instagram i post a lot on instagram i'm on that other platform who who knows what it's called now um but i i'm very rarely ever on there so i wouldn't bother following me on there um and that's probably that's probably enough things isn't it yeah that sounds great that sounds great just a story i met someone the other day and i recognized their face and I said, "Oh yeah, I think we're I think we're connected, and we talk a lot on." <laughs> can't stay on that platform because that is not a good sentence. It just is weird. Yeah, right. It's not. It's not good. And um, and but I, uh, but um, an inter- it's an interesting one though. That and this is probably completely irrelevant to your podcast, but but it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it has power that you know we've probably all got work through oh yeah the website formerly known as twitter um and connections and all that but we all a lot of us now going oh i don't really like what it stands for and i don't like this billionaire megalomaniac guy in charge and saying we're ex-friends is really weird (laughs) right and um but we're still there because of of like a fear of losing something even though I don't know about you, but I don't. I I get hardly any notifications on that now these days, oh, since right. the change. Since the change. So anyway, <laughs> I think we should all leave, but you have to go first. <laughs> well, thank you, Pippa, for coming to the coaching in, and uh, you can buy Pippa's book from all big book retailers. Improv Your Life by Pippa Evans. Thank you, Pippa. Thanks, it's been Leo. Brilliant to have you here. Thank you. Bye bye. Goodbye.
If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, we'd love you to share the podcast with a friend or leave a comment on social media. And if you'd like to become a regular at The Coaching Inn, you can subscribe on Podbean and all major podcast channels. We look forward to welcoming you next time. You've been listening to The Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual hub. For more information, check out 3dcoaching.com.